Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast happy friday everybody i hope y'all are doing amazing and fantabulous here On this Friday, it is a great, great weekend for me in the sports world, and we're also going to get to NFL broadcaster after that. But I want to talk about Dodgers week, because it's Dodgers-Padres week, people. And as a Padres fan, you get up for this even when your team sucks. You are glued to Dodgers week, but you best believe that this is my MLB opening day. MLB opening day is today for the Padres. Yeah, we beat the Pittsburgh Pirates and Texas Rangers five out of seven games. And yes, we have one of the best run differentials in baseball. But today is where you get up. If you're a San Diego Padres fan and you get excited because no longer are we playing the bum-ass Diamondbacks, the bum-ass Giants, the bum-ass Texas Rangers who got no hit by us, or the bum-ass Pittsburgh Pirates, this is Dodgers week. And this is the fascinating thing about Dodgers week. It might be MLB's closest chance to a nationally relevant baseball series. It is not a coincidence that Major League Baseball put Dodgers and Padres this weekend when the only event of meaning, I believe, is the Oscars. Because Every The sports calendar is designed very strategically, and people don't necessarily realize this, is that the sports calendar is designed where you have someone getting primetime slots on Sunday almost every Sunday. And this is one of those rare weekends that slips through the cracks. Yes, everyone's going to be interested in the Oscars, of course, But it's just one of those rare weekends that just slips through the cracks of the changing sports calendar. Under normal circumstances, tomorrow would be the start of the NBA playoffs. But obviously the season's been moved back. And it would also be the start of the NHL playoffs. But they're still in the regular season at this point. Football is over. College basketball is over. Last weekend was the Masters. And the Masters had it exclusive to themselves. And now... There's an empty weekend, and who's going to slide into the void of this sports calendar? Well, I guess a miscalculation, because there's only 52 of these for all professional sports, and over half of them are dominated by football. Who's going to slide into the cracks here? Why Major League Baseball is going to slide into the cracks by bringing the series, the well, really the only series that could possibly be nationally relevant in April to the people with nothing else going on on three nationally televised games. That is the Dodgers, and as Uncle Ted Leitner describes it, my San Diego Padres, which it just gives me an excuse when I mention Uncle Ted and the Padres to play the most banger song of any sports team's anthem, the San Diego Superchargers song that still belongs to San Diego because the Chargers don't use it anymore.
For those of you who maybe aren't interested in the baseball stuff, don't worry. I won't be talking about Eric Hosmer's swing plane or Trevor Bauer's whip or Manny Machado's OPS plus, which is now one of the highest in the league, which puts him in the early MVP conversation, even though the sample size is ridiculously small, but it's still been an awesome start to the season for Manny Machado and the Padres. I will be talking about the baseball side of it from just a baseball and a relevancy standpoint. So if you want to hear us break news later on in the podcast, you can skip forward to, well, I don't know how long because we're still recording this segment. Just start skipping forward if you're not interested in the baseball stuff. Okay, now that the PSA is done, let's talk about what gets people nationally excited about baseball. Because this is the thing that matters in sports the most. It makes every sport interesting, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, the NHL, UFC, hockey, well, I mentioned hockey, UFC, college sports. What brings people into these events, plain and simple, is stakes. If you put stakes on games, it will draw people into your sporting events. Fandoms are a big part of it, but those are on a more minute level. We're talking about on a national level. What gets a national audience interested in regional sports? And for those who may not understand what I'm talking about there, uh, I didn't give the context for that. So there are about two national sports in America at this point. Football, the NFL, and the NBA are national sports. And then there's about 12 niche sports where... Like at a buffet line, people kind of pick and choose the sports they like to follow, but overall, most people follow football and basketball. More overwhelmingly football, but people pick and choose the sports that they want to follow. For some people, it's UFC. For some people, they're really into boxing. For some people, it's golf. For some people, it's the WNBA. It's maybe the MLB. It's maybe the NHL. Maybe it's tennis. People kind of pick and choose the sports that they like to follow, but they can't really follow all of them as a legit like fan. There's just way too much that exists. For some people, it's wrestling. That's another thing that's kind of cool is the market around wrestling developing the way it's developed. But for some people, that is baseball. But baseball is the closest thing in between a nationally relevant sport and a niche regional sport because baseball was at one time America's most popular sport from about 1900 to, well, I guess you could throw horse racing and boxing in there, but from about 1940 to about 1980, baseball was America's most popular sport. And then it had a revival in the nineties with Ted Turner and TBS and the Cubs and Braves getting to be nationally televised. But baseball overwhelmingly has not been America's most popular sport for about 40 years. And so baseball is in this place where the way it becomes nationally relevant is with stakes. It's the same way hockey becomes relevant to not necessarily a national audience, uh, but a broad international audience. I won't go as far to say it's as popular as baseball, which generates 21 million viewers for a World Series game, but still overwhelmingly popular to a national audience, is you put stakes on games. And this is the important part that I wanted to correlate this to in like a philosophical kind of like this, this, this statement. Stakes are the thing that makes sports interesting, specifically niche sports national. But stakes are also socially constructed. Stakes are created out of basic nothingness. And so because these stakes are all constructed by us and we hold, we place a value on whatever thing we're saying has stakes. Therefore, we can create our own stakes for sporting events. And we do this all the time. It's, first of all, the playoffs are the easiest way in every sport to put stakes on things because it's the risk of your season coming to an end at any moment. So stakes put enormous amounts of attention on games. It's why I've always been pro-major playoff expansions in every sport. I'm totally fine with everyone making the playoffs in a sport. Um, And I think the reason for that is that I don't mind if the champion is not a true representation of the best team in the sport. I would prefer that the champions make it to the championship round because it gives us the most entertaining sport. But I'm totally okay with expanding the playoffs as far as you want to go and 
just making more and more games with stakes in them. I learned that really officially in the NBA bubble last year, which was 20 teams making the playoffs and everyone had a two-week regular season to suit up for it. That made me realize that you can put stakes on pretty much anything and draw interest. Now, there's a, a, an indoctrination thing that comes into play, but that's another conversation for another day. So we can create our own stakes to create national relevancy. Football is great at this because they've just put all their games on one day of the sea or one week, one day of the week. And so everyone watches, sits down for seven hours or whatever it may be. If you're a really big football fan like myself, you might go 11 hours and watch the Sunday night football game. But you're going to sit down and dedicate your Sunday to football and the rest of the week will just kind of be an if it's on, it's on kind of thing. You're not going to sit down and have to watch Thursday night football. It's more of an if it's on, it's on, I'll watch it. At least that's been my experience with most people around this. And there's numbers that reflect this in, you know, Nielsen ratings and whatever the other score is that comes out after the game where you get like a 19 point something, whatever it might be. But one of the ways that we create stakes around it, other than what football does, which is put all the games in one weekend, is that we have rivalries. Rivalries are a way to add stakes because it creates emotional excitement. College football is really good at creating rivalries. And the thing with college football is that rivalries bring in regional attention. They hand out big trophies. They create emotional, they create emotions between fan bases. Um, which again, it, they can sports traffic in the emotions business, so it's a perfect way to go about that, is by trafficking in people's emotions in order to create stakes around a game between Nebraska and Iowa because you're playing for some trophy. But in terms of a nationally relevant rivalry, it's rivalries between teams that are both really good, that create stakes. And in the case of baseball, Rivalries are huge in creating stakes, but they have to be rivalries where both teams are good. It's why for my entire lifetime, and I'd never understood why I did it, every time it was a Yankees-Red Sox weekend, I was glued to the TV watching on Friday, watching on Saturday, maybe watching on Sunday, but I would always watch Fox Saturday Yankees-Red Sox games, and I would always watch Friday MLB Network Yankees Red Sox games. It was really strange. I would always tune into Yankees Red Sox. And I think a part of it is the mythology, but I realized last year when the Yankees played the Red Sox and the Red Sox were a steaming pile of shit and the Yankees were really, really good, that the thing that made me interested in Yankees Red Sox and made America as a whole interested in Yankees Red Sox was that they were two of the best teams in baseball from 2016 to 2019. The Yankees and Red Sox were two of the best teams in baseball. They got to play 18 times a year, and there was a rivalry between the two fan bases because the Red Sox and Yankees are almost always good. You can go back to 2013 when the Yankees were a little bit down, but when both the Yankees and Red Sox are good, it brings people in on a national level. And that is exactly what the Dodgers and Padres are trying to do. Because in college football, the best rivalries are created when both teams are good. And that's what I was saying before about Michigan and Ohio State, or at least where my point was going after Nebraska and Arkansas, is that aside from maybe Michigan and Ohio State, there aren't real rivalries that bring in tons of people more so regional rivalries that contain two really, really good teams. One example of this. Remember in 2019 when LSU played against Alabama? This was the Joe Burrow championship season. Alabama was ranked number two. LSU was ranked number one. It was the third time this century that a number one played a number two in the regular season in college football. And it was plagued as like the big game of the year. And LSU ended up winning rather handily. It was Burrow and Tua, the top two quarterbacks in the draft. It was number one versus number two. It was winner wins the SEC East. And LSU ended up winning rather handily, but it was the game that everyone had to watch. And it was the highest rated college football game of the season. 
only until the national championship game. Not even the national semifinals, both of which were blowouts, by the way. Uh, I, I guess Ohio State-Clemson was close at the end. But both of the national semifinal games could not top that LSU-Alabama rating. And the championship game was the only thing that topped LSU and Alabama. So the best rivalries now are that combination of the two. And it, I've come to conclude that I think this is the best way presently constructed with the, like the, the other way is to just change the formats and the way that you do these sports leagues for baseball, shorten the season for college football, put all of your rivalries into a spread out schedule and put the best teams scheduled against the best teams. Um, in the NBA, I don't really know what the answer is for the NBA, but I think in the NBA, the best answer is to just shorten the season, expand the playoffs, which they've already done. Because in the NBA, the thing that creates rivalries more than any other sport is just best teams. What is the best NBA rivalry that we've seen over the past, say, seven years? I'm sure there's a number of answers out there. OKC versus Golden State. Uh, you could have San Antonio versus Golden State, potentially. You could have the Lakers versus the Clippers, if you want to go to that point. You could have... Uh, well, I guess you could have Toronto and Cleveland, but none of these are traditional rivalries. They've just always been the best teams that happen to keep playing in the playoffs every year. But I think without question, the biggest rivalry in the NBA of the last seven years is the Warriors versus the Cavaliers, which if you want to phrase it a different way, is the Warriors and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry versus LeBron James, which all has to do with who are your best teams. The best teams make the best rivalries because they are interesting to watch. And animosity and trafficking and emotions exist, but basketball doesn't really have that. Warriors fans don't necessarily feel animosity towards Cleveland. Maybe they feel animosity towards LeBron James, and maybe Cavaliers fans feel animosity towards Steph Curry, but I don't think that anger is directed at the team specifically. Either way, it works for the NBA. It's why I was really hoping that we would get the Giannis versus Kawhi rivalry blossoming over these past couple years, but hasn't seemed to happen yet. But the formula appears to be, at least for most sports at this point who don't get a lot of regional publicity, Great teams, or I'm sorry, national publicity, but regional publicity. Great teams and players plus a rivalry equals stakes. And if you create stakes, more people will tune in. And it's, like I said, it's why I wanted to make Kawhi versus Giannis a rivalry in the NBA. And I was sad when both of them got bounced in the second round last year. And now it seems like the Clippers have a long path to the final. And now Kevin Durant's back. And it's going to be more KD versus LeBron, the way it looks like it's going to shape out. We'll see what the Lakers end up looking like come playoff time, because you might get KD versus Kawhi for a second time. That would be kind of interesting, even though KD only played 11 minutes of that final series before tearing his Achilles. So I guess it wasn't really KD versus Kawhi. But anyways, for baseball, which does not get a lot of national publicity, like there's only the playoffs draw people in nationally to baseball. Not even opening day did that this year. Like opening day didn't even draw people deep into baseball. Like the one thing that does it for baseball is, I think because opening day is a lot has a lot to do with going to the stadium and that wasn't really a case for most people. The only thing drawing people in nationally to baseball are stakes, and the only stakes baseball has are the playoffs, and from about 2016 to 2019, Yankees and Red Sox. And so I think this regional sport of baseball has a chance this weekend with Dodgers and Padres. At the very least, it's the best chance baseball has for, for just a few weekends during the season, to be nationally relevant. It might not be bigger than this one because it's the first Dodgers-Padres series. But as a Padres fan, Dodgers-Padres was always going to matter to me. It mattered when the Padres were 51-80 and 80, and they had no chance of making the playoffs, but it was the last week of August and the Padres were playing the Dodgers and we wanted to beat 
Dustin May, and we wanted to beat Walker Buehler, and we wanted to beat all these dudes that were pitching for the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw, I'll never forget Hunter Renfro hitting two homers off Clayton Kershaw. It was one of the happiest moments of those Padres years from about 2015-16 to 2019, when the Padres were a hot pile of garbage trying to rebuild their team. He hit multiple homers off off of Kershaw. Jose Perella had an awesome one. Hunter Renfro hit a walk-off grand slam off of Kenley Jansen, and I felt like it was the greatest moment ever, even though we just avoided a sweep of the Dodgers by getting a walk-off grand slam by Hunter Renfro off Kenley Jansen. So Padres-Dodgers was always going to matter to me. It just might indra- it might just draw in casual baseball fans more than if it's on, it's on, which is kind of just the idea that most people have with baseball right now. Sure, there are people who watch their team 140 times of the year, to which I say you're watching way too much baseball if you're watching your team 140 times a year. Got to diversify your interests a little bit. But Dodgers-Padres, you've got three nationally televised games if MLB Network counts as nationally televised for you. Which, if you're a casual baseball fan, you probably have MLB Network. Or if you're a casual football fan who has an NFL Network, you have MLB Network. So, as a Padres fan, it's really cool to see it happen. And time will tell if my theory is proven correctly on this. It'll be interesting to see what the ratings are for these games compared to some other nationally televised baseball on a Saturday or a Sunday night. It's going to be interesting to watch it play out from a Dodgers-Padres standpoint because... You've created a rivalry that has been heated over the offseason. You have two of the larger fan bases in baseball. For some reason, the Padres have a large fan base, and now they're spending like they have a large fan base. And they just might be the two best teams in all of baseball right now. So I don't think the stakes could get higher than that by baseball's own construction when we're talking about teams, players, and rivalries. In the present format, baseball has... I don't think the stakes could get higher other than maybe breaking an all-time record. That's the only thing I could think of. But even no-hitters barely draw in attention anymore. So Dodgers-Padres definitely will draw some people in. I'm just interested to see if it looks like a playoff game in terms of a national audience. And if casual baseball fans decide this is a must-watch kind of game. It'll be interesting to watch that play out. All right. NFL broadcaster is here. We are going to talk about free agency and breaking news and everything he was doing in reporting things before even Adam Schefter. And I break some news here on the air with all of you. So stay tuned for that or look at today's cover art or description in the episode. With that being said, let's chat with our buddy NFL broadcaster. And follow him on Instagram and Twitter. Almost forgot. Follow NFL Broadcaster on Instagram and Twitter. He's not really that much like active going on right yeah. now. Yeah. I know. It's getting to that part where it's slow. Yes. It's that, it's that in-between period where free agency is done and you're waiting for the draft. You've already overanalyzed the draft way too much, but you're going to keep doing it for the content of it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I do have questions for you just as part of like a a newsbreaker kind of thing. Because for those who may not remember, NFL broadcaster was like in the heart of free agency, like breaking news as fast as it possibly could. Oh, yeah. That was cool because I'm like seeing stories where like James Conner just recently signed with the Cardinals. You were like, yeah, we we talked about this with sources months ago that he might be going to Arizona. And here he is signing with Arizona. So I just want to ask you about that. Like, what was the whole experience of free agency like this year? Because you, like, blew up during that time because you were getting <laughs> news, like, if not, like, right away, like, two minutes after the fact or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was hard to stay, like, like, to be the fastest one to report something because there's just so many other people that post NFL news and they use, like, formats that are, you know, like, simple and fast to edit. And I try to spend more time like editing the photo and then plug it in YouTube. I post to Twitter, I post to Instagram. So it takes me a bit to get to every platform. Um, But something recently that helped along with that was a partnership with that NFL rumors account on Twitter. 
Okay. And they helped me big time when it comes to like um, inside sources. Not like everything is going to be 100% accurate, but I mean, they know more than people think they do. And they've just let me inside on a lot of stuff. And it's really helped me out. Yeah, that's kind of huge. When you have your own sources that are saying, hey, this is kind of something you should prepare for, and like create edits for this or whatever it might be. It's a, yeah. uh, it, you have your own sources now, which is just amazing to think about that uh, NFL broadcaster who we've been talking to since you had like 7,000 or like 11,000 followers. <laughs> He's got yeah. sources now. He's got goddamn sources. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like it's more like a third party kind of thing. Um, you know, a lot of it is like, you got to take the word of, um, someone else. You know what I mean? I have talked directly to a couple people. Um, have like, I've even had, uh, it's, it's hard to explain. I don't want to like say too much, but you know, like conversations with, uh, actual NFL players, so I do know some things to expect. Um, yeah, don't don't and, betray don't betray any conf- confidences <laughs> on the podcast here. And I'm happy. Yeah, I'm yeah. happy to edit and bleep stuff out here. So maybe even though no, you good. don't say anything, I'm just gonna hit the bleep button. Like, oh my gosh, we're revealing scandalous information here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. I don't think uh, I don't think I've said anything that's too much. I mean, it's just not like. I have like direct sources like that or, you know, on each coaching staff or part of or scouts or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. It's more like I have to take the word of someone else, but I'm still told that things are happening and uh, I have put my trust in those people and then I watch it come true and it's just really cool to see it happen. Yeah, that w- I feel like that would give me the adrenaline rush every time when you're like it not does. quite breaking news, but like you have the inside source before everyone else had it. Yeah, yeah. And like a lot of it is, you know, I'll wait till it's like comes true to actually post it just in case. But for the most part, you know, um, I've learned a lot about how the NFL uh, NFL rumors account. I learned how they get their information, how they make their their rumors, how they come up with the rumors, how they get rumors, how they get their info. Um, and I've seen a lot of, uh, let's just say proof and it's really cool. Um, they've helped me out a lot. So if anyone's listening, if you guys have heard of this NFL rumors account on Twitter, go and give them a follow. That's just part of what I do for them is I help spread their account around and they'll spread out mine as well, but it's really cool and watching how they do it. Yeah. And check out, um, NFL broadcaster on Instagram, of course, because obviously you have a bunch of reports here. Like, for example, James Conner hosted for a visit today, and that's obviously coming in from another report. Or, you know, the Chargers trading up looking for Panay Sewell. That's another report that you put out a little while ago where it's just like, hey, you never know, but you're sitting there. So that's interesting that the process is like, here's the information, here's where you can see some stuff from sources and whether there's like a you're, you're kind of like you're looking for smoke, like you're, where there's smoke, there's fire. And you're the person who's just looking for smoke at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So I was told by, um, you know, by my friends over there at NFL Rumors, like, you know, I'm, they said, hey, I'm just going to let you know this real quick. Um, there's a good chance that this team wants to trade up if this certain player falls below this certain pick. And I'm like, you know what? That totally makes 100 percent sense. Um, and I, I have to make sure like on Instagram to label it as a rumor instead of like breaking news or update or report or report. Yeah. Right. Cause report is like, you know, factual information. Um, and yeah, I have to make sure it's like rumor cause I don't want to get like too criticized, which you can probably read the comments and most of the time I do get criticized, but then I can back it up and be like, well, it happened. So. these are my sources and they were correct (laughs) yeah and we don't shoot 100 percent, but that's why we label it rumors in the first place um there was another one besides james connor um i was told let's see when i posted that if you go back to my latest post before this 
The Cordero Patterson one? Yeah, I said he's supposed to be finalized within like the next 24 hours. Ooh, um, and you nailed that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I was told last night um, at work. I was told last night at work by someone on their their team um, that it's like it's basically as good as done. And yo, that's so cool. <laughs> it, it was really cool. Oh it, my god, yeah. that's awesome. It was really cool. Same goes with um the big signing of Kenny Galladay. Um I was told, you know, that it's gonna be a multi-year deal. That's like that I mean that wasn't hard to guess. That was kind of certain. Um but it's gonna be a multi-year deal. I was told it's gonna be finalized like within the next few days, and then it was like 48 hours later. Um, oh my God! That's and with the, so cool. <laughs> and with the Jadavion Clowney news, um, I was told that the deal was fine. That basically he was flying back to Cleveland to finalize this deal. They were already planning to sign him. That's I tweeted right, out I that used, I used your account to do a, a podcast on Monday about Clowney signing with the Browns, really? and the, the deal wasn't official until Wednesday. But I needed like a a six minute segment. I was like, Oh, Jadavian Clowney's going to sign with the Browns. Let's talk about that. Yeah, and Monday. I knew it. He didn't man. sign I knew until it. Wednesday. It's because like, we didn't know he was going to have that travel issue. You know, like they said, he had a travel issue to where Monday didn't work out. So he's going to fly there Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he was signed basically as soon as he got there Wednesday morning, there was like no, like you didn't even hear about a physical or anything or hearing about a workout. You just heard he's been signed for one year, $2 million. Um, they, and that, decided, they had a deal agreed in principle and they just right. had to get there and get it done. And that was, that was supposed to be done Monday, but the tr- travel issue came out. So I got kind of criticized for that. I'm like, well, we can't predict someone's travel issues like that. Come on. But I was told by someone who knows someone on apparently close to Clowney that he's, ex- he will be signed that Monday, but it turned out to be Wednesday, but and that's the, the interesting thing is like you, you said, you can't be a hundred percent, but to, when people expect it to be a hundred percent, like a newsbreaker, which yeah. is unreasonable for yeah. anybody, it's unreasonable, but it's, it gets obnoxious. I'm guessing over time. Cause I experienced some of that too, where you're not going to please everyone, but people are relentless. <laughs> oh, I know. Like when you miss one, um, when you miss a post, I, you get a lot of hate, but when you get them right, you don't get as much love. So, but it's okay. It's part of it. And I'm not like Ian Rappaport or anything. So I don't have like inside sources, you know, through ESPN and stuff, but like, but you're someone where people can get news from you. Like I get news from you at times because you're in fast enough where that could be the first thing I see is NFL broadcaster saying, Jadavian Clowney is planning to sign with the Browns. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And it, is, it feels good when you get it right. And I try to like post on my story, you know, like what which ones I get correct, which ones I do not. Um, mm-hmm. Like one that's incorrect, I will say it right here live on this podcast was I think like maybe over a month ago, I was hearing that Clowney was going to go back on a one year deal with the Titans. And I posted that as a rumor. And then when he signed with the Browns, I got DMs like, dude, what about this post? You better put this on your incorrect. And you're like, you know what? You're right. I'll, I will post it on my incorrect. But that's why I, you have to label it as a rumor. <laughs> I like it when people hold you accountable in that way. Because it's the same thing with takes. Like if you're giving a take and you, it's like it takes – it takes a long time to be proven right or wrong. People kind of forget about it. Hell, I forget about it a lot of the times. But over time, they get proven right or wrong. And it's fun to revisit those things. Like me saying that two years ago, if the Titans replace Mariota with Tannehill, they'll make the playoffs. And then also saying Dang. that the Bills <laughs> – But then also saying this year that the Bills would go 6-10 and 10 and replace Josh Allen at quarterback. <laughs> Ooh, that was a big miss, huh? Yeah, that was that was a big miss. That one was uh, definitely a miss. I did not foresee the greatest single season improvement by a quarterback coming at the start of the year. Yeah, that was, I mean, I can't blame you though. Like there were things in Josh Allen's play that I definitely didn't like, but it seemed to it seemed to go to his side of things. 
You know? Well, he went from 30th in the league in completion percentage in 2020, no, 2019 to in 2020 was seventh in completion percentage yeah. and improved a hundred passing yards a game. It was just, he was bad before and then he became really, really good. Yeah. You can't just, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard. Oh, to no, it, it's, it would have been all right if I had just said, yeah, they were a wild card last year. They could probably make the wild card. It's just equally bad because I not only said that, I said the Bills would suck, and then they were awesome. That's what makes it even worse. Yeah, but I don't blame you there. I mean, I probably would have said the same thing. And not a lot of people were saying it, but I thought I was going to end up being proven right over time. And uh, I was not. I was not proven right over time. <laughs> you still could. You still could. And like, you know, if you predict I, I, it's not it's not possible at this point, because I said Josh Allen was never going to be good. And that's already been proven wrong. It's just a matter of how wrong I'm going to be at this point. <laughs> I get you. Yeah. Well, that's a no go. <laughs> Yeah, just just man, manage costs on that. What's the one that you're most proud of? Like the one that you're most proud of nailing X, Y, or Z take or pick or whatever. Oh, okay, okay. Hang on, let me let me get on my computer because I'm on my phone at the moment. So let me get on and go back to um my Instagram on this. Let's go to. Because I posted, I was about to say there's there's probably a lot to work with this time around. Yeah, I have like story highlights, you know, of um, um, of all the ones I've gotten correct. Of correct picks. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Alshon Jeffries release. I mean, that was kind of like to be expected, but I posted that three days before it happened. Before Tyrell Williams was released, I posted it February 11th, and I think it happened like towards the end of February. Um, reported the. David Johnson re, uh, restructure. I posted it four days before it happened with the Texans. Um, and then... Ooh, I was going through this. You <laughs> posted the uh, Vikings restructure of Britton Colquitt 17 minutes before Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, I did do that one. I did do that one. And I got the... Uh, one of the 49ers offensive linemen was released. I posted it four hours before Ian Rappaport... Uh, 14 hours yeah before and i posted the the wow. big ben uh restructure i posted it three days before ian rapaport wow the the, well the desmond true font um i was told i was given a list okay by my friends at nfl rumors i was given a list of five players on the lines who were going to be released they were all re- released or traded and Desmond Trufant was one of those. I posted it on Instagram four days before. Let me click this post. Actually, here it is. I said, Lions are likely to release Desmond Trufant, Danny Shelton, Jamie Collins before the league new year. This would save $12 million in cap space. And then all those players are gone. Damn, you're right. All of them got released <laughs> before the start of the new yeah, year. So. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I was told by them, you know, and I was given a list, and I said, "I'll, I'll trust you guys," and I posted it, and it was correct. So I was just like, I was so proud of that, and I was so happy to be a part of it. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a damn good pick right there. (laughs) So that I think that one might be the coolest. That one and Colquitt, those those two might be the coolest for me. Those two are the definitely the coolest ones. (laughs) Get this one. Get this one. Um. I posted three days before Carlos Dunlap was released by the, um, by the Seahawks. By the Seahawks. Yeah, I posted Carlos Dunlap. Did they? Did they resign? They him? did. I'm just trying to. They remember released that. him. They, did they released him, then resigned him to a multi-year deal to save money. So they released him. I said Seahawks Carlos Dunlap likely to be released if restructure not agreed to. They did release him, and then they signed him to a multi-year deal to save cap space for 2021. Okay. And then I mean, it's an easy way to circumvent the cap, but also I don't think there were many, very many takers for Carlos Dunlap in free agency. Yeah. Um, let's see. I posted before. I posted four minutes before all uh, Mike Garofalo, Ian Rappaport about the Lions releasing linebacker Christian Jones. Uh, mm. 
And the Raiders were likely to trade, release or trade safety LaMarcus Joyner. Um, I posted that five days before uh, March 3rd when he was released. And that was posted by Ian Rappaport on March 3rd. And I posted it five days prior. Nice. Yeah. So, like, there's just that's, that's those are really early ones, like starting from Alshon Jeffrey, are what I'm like most proud of. Um, because that was when free agency was just like bam, 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 everyone's getting released. And I was posting things days before. Um, another big one was Emmanuel right. Sanders. Um, with his release or signing with the Bills? With his release, I said Saints likely to release Sanders before the league new year. Um, I posted it February 28th, and he was – what? I don't know what day he was released, but I know it was way before, after February 28th. February 28th? Okay. All right. Now let's play the game of incorrect. Let's see what the worst ones were. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Let me go through those. Let's see here. Incorrect. Let's play the incorrect game. Um, I missed out on the – well, I did ex- uh, predict his extension, um, Trent Williams, but I said it was expected to happen tonight or tomorrow morning, and then it was like actually happened a couple days after that. So I just went ahead and put that on the incorrect just because I predicted it that night or like within the 24 hours. Okay. Yeah, they had a hiccup in the negotiations. Mm-hmm. Um, for wide receiver John Ross, who was a former Bengal, I predicted him – let me see this post. I predicted that the Rams, 49ers, and Seahawks were expected to show the most interest in him. And he signed with who? The Giants. John Ross did. Okay, yeah. So he signed with the Giants. That was something yeah. that we did not expect to happen. So I posted that incorrect. Um, Solomon Thomas, I missed that one. Solomon Thomas is a Raider? I didn't even... That one slipped under my nose. I forgot he isn't on the 49ers. Yeah, anymore. yeah. And I posted that the... Again, the, the, the guy the 49ers took instead of Deshaun Watson. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I posted that the Jets and the 49ers were supposed to try to make a, a run at him. Uh, you know, like the 49ers, maybe like a really cheap deal. So I missed that. And uh, the Will Fuller one, I think, was huge because I missed that big time. Uh, I don't know if anyone really expected him to sign with the Dolphins, but he did. That was like a one-year, $11 million deal. So, And then – Yeah, that one was weird that he got one year. Yeah, and then the last one I have on here is um, Sammy Watkins expected interest from 49ers, Chiefs, and the Bengals. And he signed with, what, the Ravens? And that's yep. He got a one-year deal with the Ravens. Basically, like an Emmanuel Sanders mogul now, where he just kind of bounces around all these different teams who are kind of in contention. So yeah, that is, that's a interesting way that that one ended up playing out. Oop! I cannot hear you anymore. Uh oh. My phone. Yes, locked, I can. So there we go. We're back. <laughs> that was weird. It's all good as long as as long as it's still <laughs> rolling, we're good. But sometimes you have to restart the podcast. So that's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that that was kind of interesting to go through, only because like being a newsbreaker just feels like it's a fun adrenaline rush, and obviously it's awesome to have this inside sourcing stuff, but I like playing that game where you just have, what are your best takes? What are your worst takes? Cause I know for myself, I've got like a handful of them that I will remember as my best ones and a handful that I will remember as just all time <laughs> flops that will be like, I'll be telling the story 10 years from now at Jacob deGrom's hall of fame speech about how bad I met. Yeah. He turned out him. to be pretty good. <laughs> I mean, he was always been mediocre ish yeah. or like seen as like an above average pitcher, but just never like, that tier one guy and then he just like locked in for like two years and then yeah then he won two straight Cy Youngs and finished third last year in the Cy Young and might win yeah. a third one this year like it's just yeah that one was bad because the pot my, I'm a Padres fan so uh there in 2014 they had a, a pitcher named Jesse Hahn who 
was like the, so the Padres have been mm-hmm. bad for a while, but Jesse Hahn was like for like two months of the year, he was really good for like eight starts. He was awesome to start the year. And this was June and he was in the rookie of the year race. And so at the time I basically said, Jesse Hahn needs to win the rookie of the year in June. He totally fell off by the end of the season. But in June, I was like, he needs to win the rookie of the year award. Who the hell is Jacob DeGrom? Dang. (laughs) That Jesse Hahn needs to win that. Who the hell is Jacob How long has DeGrom DeGrom been in the league? (laughs) I think like seven years. If that was 2014, that would be what? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. This would be his Oh, wow. Okay, so he's a little younger than I thought he was. Yeah. Grom's uh, probably 30, I guess. If I had to guess, he's probably 30 years old. He still throws like 100. Yeah, I'm a St. Louis fan, so we're struggling this year. Our our starting rotation is god-awful. Yeah, DeGrom's oh, wow. 32, but uh, he's got Jack Flaherty, at least. Yeah, he's got Jack I mean, Flaherty. He's either hot or cold. Yeah, and you guys have technically now – you guys are like kind of the Rams, where the Rams like have the best interior defensive lineman and the best corner and then not yeah. a whole lot else. But their team is built around like yeah. six stars. That's kind of the Cardinals, is that they're built around, like, six stars and don't have real Exactly, yeah. We have a great, like, closing staff, like Jordan Hicks, uh, Giovanni Gallegos. Um, and then we don't have, like, hardly any starting rotation. Adam Wainwright. I like Adam. Uh, I mean, he's he's just old, you know. He's, like... Obviously, like, legend, yeah, legendary Cardinal, but still can give you a game. Right, and, and then... The I mean, Flaherty, he's either hot or cold, and he's been cold. And that's it, besides those two dudes. And it's just so bad. Our bullpen is awful. It's the worst. And we have the most innings thrown in baseball out of pitching staff so far. So. Damn. That's yeah. Out of the, your bullpen, you mean? So your starters are not. So your starters. No, are not they. Giving you a lot I think. Of innings I don't so know if any season. of our starters have made it like past six innings this season or not. Past five. I don't. I don't even know. Um. Yeah, that's going to do you in over the long run. That I guess that kind of explains why they're like middle of the pack in the NL Central. And I thought that they would just run away because they. Yeah, and I knew it. I, I was like, no, Mozilak, John Mozilak has to make some starting rotation moves. And the only thing we've done in the last like decade, like that are big moves, is the Goldschmidt trade and Arenado. Um, other than that, we signed. I guess Ozuna too. Ozuna kind, kind of, of but big. he sucked like his first year here. He didn't hardly do much, and then he was okay as like second, and I think he was here for a third year. But then as sort as soon as he went to the Braves, dude, he blew up. So yeah, he was awesome. But he was also he gave you that one playoff series. He gave you that one playoff series against the Braves, <laughs> where he was, I think, hitting like four hundred for the series because. The joke I've been making about Marcelo Zuna for – oh, I've been making jokes about the Cardinals, but it's perfect because Marcelo Zuna, the most consistent thing about him is his inconsistency. It's just – it's been that way yep. as long as he's been around. He's consistently inconsistent, and the Cardinals are always going to be the same team, which is they're going to win a baseline of 85 games. They're going to field about a top-10 payroll. They're going to have a few star players, and they're going to get yep. back early in the playoffs. That's kind of what the Cardinals have been for yep. about seven it years sucks, now. but – it's predictable when they don't invest in the pitching staff. The only thing we've done to improve our pitching, not improve, just to manage it, was we signed Miles Michaelis like three years ago, and he's just average. He's maybe average. I and we signed that, like yeah. KK, uh, like a Korean pitcher, but he's hurt right now, anyways, and he's like thirty-five years old. So like, it's just that's it. We don't we don't sign any big names when it comes to pitchers. Or develop them all that well. I know Jack Flaherty is obviously a big victory for your developmental system, but they don't, they're kind of like the Angels where they just kind of like plug in a Quintana or now it's I mean, we have one of the better farm systems, but it's just like they choose not to bring in the guys that you know have talent. They bring in like hyped up names that are just too hyped, overhyped. You know what I mean? They're not. I get it. And there's always still going to be an Adam mm-hmm. Wainwright slot yeah. rotation. 
like Dylan Carlson though. I mean, he was like the number two overall prospect in baseball or something. So of course, like, you know, we put him in the lineup rightfully. So hopefully he does a little better. Yeah. He's, he's kind of in that weird place right now where he's, he's good, but he's not great. He's just kind of like moving around at this point and just like trying to, find some sort of stability and break out. Cause he's like, he's obviously a major leaguer, but he's just not what they yeah. kind of thought he was going to be. He's like, he started before this last game or this last series that we're playing against the nationals. He was like three of 18 or 20 or I don't know, but all three of his hits were homers and one was a grand slam. So, so it's just <laughs> an easy, like boom or bust at the moment. Yeah, Dylan Carlson's kind of nice. Tommy Edmonds pretty good. I only know a lot about the Cardinals because they played the Padres yeah. in the playoffs last year. And so I they they got my full attention for about 3 days. So Tommy Edmonds pretty good. Gold, Goldsmith's just someone people fear. Like I just don't understand why he doesn't get the reputation he does cuz that dude is just scary he's, every time. Yeah, you know, he play. has like over 50% of the hard hit balls this season. Like he's <laughs> he has like He's leading the MLB in hard hit balls as of like two days ago, what I know. But even if they're out or whatever, he's hit them over like 115 miles per hour off the bat. And it's just nuts. Yeah. And basically, you guys got him just by signing him as a free agent. Like they didn't give up really anything other than like Carson Kelly and uh, Luke Weaver, which Luke Weaver is like a number four starter for the for the Diamondbacks right now. Like, you guys got him for nothing. That dude is still amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's probably 33, 34 years old right now. And uh, he's – I think he has, like, three homers this season. Yeah, he is still just awesome. Like, Yeah, I love his attitude. Amazing. Cardinals are interesting. Yeah, Goldschmidt is – Goldschmidt is the guy who is always consistently like there was one time where he was like a top four hitter in the league. Now he's just kind of consistently like one of the two best first basemen, but there's also not a ton of great first basemen anymore. It's not like when Ryan Howard couldn't make the all-star team for the for the, the national league. Like there's still some pretty damn good first baseman but there's not as many as it used to be in goldschmidt's just kind of it's like him and freddie freeman freeman yeah he's a stud he's really yeah the braves and Cardinals are built pretty similarly um i've got one uh nfl rumor that i posted a week ago um and i was told the jets were are expected to sign brian hoyer um but after i posted this i know that jeff tripp Jeff Driscoll entered the conversation of the Jets as for the backup position. So either Brian Hoyer or Jeff Driscoll is going to be signed by the Jets. More than likely. We are breaking news (laughs) here on the podcast, even though this won't go out until tomorrow. So it kind of defeats the purpose. But we are breaking news here live at 10 in the morning on the West Coast that Brian Hoyer or Jeff Driscoll are going to the New York Jets. We are breaking news live on the air with NFL Broadcaster, who you should check out on Instagram at NFL Broadcaster um, and Twitter at NFL Broadcaster. Uh, check. That is how you shamelessly <laughs> plug. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you for helping break news. Cause again, I'm just fascinated by being in the news breaking industry. It's yeah. I like awesome. it. Um, it definitely keeps me busy. Uh like I said on the rumors, it's it's hit or miss, but um, you know, and uh, another one posted three days ago. I've known this for several weeks now, but Tony Jefferson is expected to sign with the 49ers. It's a very high possibility. Um, uh, so I posted that. Niners yeah. need secondary home. Um, That's good. People are like, "Why we don't need safeties? We don't need safeties in San Francisco." But it's from I've seen conversations <laughs> yes, with them. Uh, yeah, I just have a lot of info on that situation, and he's expected to sign with the 49ers pretty soon. You know anything about I Richard do. Sherman? I know he's kind of like <laughs> I do. Um, I can tell you that the let's see the NFL rumors team 
um, have had personal conversations with him, like not just his representatives, but with Richard Sherman himself. Um, they were mailed a jersey of his next destination, so he already knows the team he's going to. So, I mean, I guess he could change his mind, oh. I guess, technically. Um, yeah. Holy shit. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh crap! So you know, you know who his next um, team is at this. Yeah, point. I mean, but you know, like there's others, there's others that keep entering the conversation. The 49ers are still in the mix. Raiders are still in the mix. Saints are still in the mix. And then I think, as of a few days ago, there was like other rumors that like two more teams had jumped back in, and we're like, oh no, we're still talking to Sherman. But I. Is it the Browns? Is it the Browns? <laughs> Disclosed information. I'll crop it Disclosed out if, it's, if I got it right. <laughs> it's oh it's kind gosh. of yeah, That's it's kind of still so a toss cool. up because like he could tell us one thing, and uh, yeah, he did send a jersey to the team to the NFL rumors team of his next destination, you know, but they're like it's any everything's kind of verbal right now. He hasn't officially signed anywhere, so. Yeah, that's the tough part is that Sherman may be using it as a smokescreen. Oh, if for this sure. gets out and goes viral, sure. he might yeah. be using it as a um, smokescreen. And there's several people that have given the NFL rumors team permission to break the news first over anyone else. So um, I think when he does wow. sign, I think he is one of the players that told them that they can break the, break the news first. So hopefully they tell me, you know, like maybe right before they post it or right after they post it, but... <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. That's so cool. This man well, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And he is he he is brave. I'm gonna you know what? I don't care what you're saying. I am breaking the news right now. I, Kyle of the Take It Easy podcast, am breaking the news right here. Richard Sherman is signing with the Cleveland Browns. One hundred percent. I'm breaking <laughs> the news because if I'm wrong, it will not be held against me. You have too much journalistic credibility here, but I will break the news. Richard Sherman is officially a Cleveland Brown, yeah. plastering it all yeah. over this page in this episode. I, I am doing this is again NFL broadcaster is exempt from this. He did not. He's not disclosing anything. I am breaking the news that Richard Sherman is joining the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> well, just make sure you come back to this one and listen when you uh, when you see who Richard Sherman signs with or doesn't sign with. Um, this is one of those that I have to repost because I've always said that uh, and this is just because no one was looking at it. I've always said I broke Matthew Stafford was going to get cut by the or yeah. move on from the Lions nine months before it happened because I talked about that last May when we were in the heart of the pandemic. I was like, Stafford's got an out this offseason at like 19 dead cap and he would get 30. He, he has an out in his contract to pre prevent the last two years, 64 million. They're probably going to fire Patricia, so mm -hmm. they're probably going to move on from Stafford at the end of next season. And lo and behold, That's nine months good. later, I nailed it, and they moved on. It's really good. <laughs> but I will, I will, I will throw my hat in the news-breaking ring again and say that Richard Sherman is officially signing with the Cleveland Browns with Troy Hill and John well, we'll Johnson have to and Jadavian Clowney. Richard Sherman, Cleveland we'll, we'll Browns. We'll have to see. <laughs> Um, here, here's another one. Um, oh my God! You know how the Raiders did re-sign Carl Joseph? He's back with the Raiders. Um, before he was even scheduled for a visit, I was told, um, and I posted it on Instagram, so it's not like I can't mention it again. I was told, look out for them signing Haha -Ha Clinton Dix or Kenny Vaccaro, but then they said they were having Carl Joseph come back for a visit, and then they signed him like the next morning. Um, but what I was told was after the draft, they're going to be still in contact with Kenny Vaccaro or Clinton Dix. So it's still an option there. So if you see one of them go to the Raiders, you heard it here. Ooh. <laughs> I'll take note of that. I'll take note. I'll take note. I am uh, I'm excited for this one to see what the Raiders' safety situation is going to be on just a bum-ass 6-10 Raiders team next year. So that should be exciting. <laughs> That's a lot of the news break thing. There's not a lot of Andrew Luck is retiring stories out there. It's a lot of small things and maybe now and then one big news that comes crashing in. <laughs>
little small little small moves like that so that's uh that's kind of cool are you still there by the way yeah i didn't think you i didn't think i could hear you (laughs) there we go yeah no problem i was just gonna say check out nfl broadcaster uh instagram and twitter uh follow for breaking news stuff or just regular news or rumors or reports and all the good stuff that you would get from an adam or an nfl rumors account again check out Check out NFL Broadcaster. He's like a de facto rumor guy for Instagram. So I appreciate you spending the hour with me here today. I, I do really – It's. I'm glad we got to chat again because obviously during free agency would have been more relevant. But this is uh, fun to hear the stories after the fact about just how cool the process of news breaking is, being in the moment. Because this is like a newer thing. You were at what, like 9,000, 11,000 followers the first time we tuned in? And yeah, now you're up yeah. to like 20,000, 18,000. 18, um, so. Yeah, it's definitely been an awesome ride so far. Let's see. I started maybe officially like a year ago, maybe. So less than a year. I had like 17, 18,000 followers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.